0: everybody, this is Zdenek. Welcome to another episode of Zdenek's English Podcast, which is a podcast for English learners mainly at levels B1, B2, and C1. So, we are talking about intermediate, upper intermediate, and advanced learners of English. I hope you guys like it. If this is your first time listening, then thank you for tuning in, and hopefully, you will be satisfied with what I have to offer in this particular episode because i'm going to talk about a book. Yes, i don't normally do that on this podcast and that's because i don't understand books much. I'll be honest with you. I'm an english teacher and i use books sometimes to teach english of course. Those books are called course books. But when it comes to literature, all i have to say is that i studied literature at university. But that's about it. I don't really read that much. I don't consider myself a uh, bookworm much. So, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. But let's dive into it anyway, because challenges are here to be taken on, right? So this particular episode is dedicated to my friend and a colleague from Speak Up London Language School, where I worked last year, Kieran Hughes, and his book called Battery Life, which he co-wrote with his friend Nick White. So there were two authors who wrote this book, Battery Life, and one of them was someone I used to work with, Kieran, okay? So Battery Life is a collection of short stories, and in this episode, I'm going to read out one of the stories from the book. This will be the the final part of this episode, and it will take about 15 minutes, okay? I hope you guys like it, but before we get to that short story, I have to do a bit of an introduction. Let me first explain how or why I decided to do this. So I've always wanted to record this episode ever since uh, Kieran gave me his book about a year ago. But I just kept putting it off. I kept postponing it. I kept uh, um, delaying it, mainly because it felt like a mountain to climb for me. It felt like a really difficult task, like like a challenge. I really wanted to do justice to this book uh, that's because I think it's a great piece of literature and I know that Kuren put put his heart into it. And also, there is a bit of disclaimer that I have to do right now and that the fact that I'm not a professional audio book, voiceover, narrator, neither am I a, a reviewer, a professional reviewer. Far from it. But I'm a podcaster. I am a, an English teacher who does all sorts of things, you know, bit of everything. A jack-of-all-trades, you could call me, I guess, uh, especially on this podcast. So, yes, that's the disclaimer. It does pose a bit of a challenge to me because I I just don't want to do it uh, in a sloppy way, you know. I, I really want to do this properly. So, that's why it took me a lot of time to pluck up courage and do it, okay? And I admit I've been a bit lazy as well. So this is one of those episodes that is well-prepared. There is a bit of script. There are notes in front of me here and, um, you know, all that. So to give you a bit of context, Kieran and I both worked for Speak Up London Language School as English teachers. As far as I know, Kieran is still there, but I left London this March, that's 2020. We used to teach evening classes from about 7 to 9 p.m., I believe it was three times a week. And to be honest, it would be just me and Kieran and the cleaners and one of the people uh, in the reception in the office uh, or in the whole building, to be honest. Usually, um, this person was Musa. You may have heard about Musa from one of the previous episodes. He was a guest on one of my live shows. But uh, it was just me, Kieran, Musa and the cleaners. The building was otherwise literally empty. Of course, the students as well, right? Our students. So I was teaching in one room and uh, Kieran was teaching next door. Anyway, about a year ago, there was a fire in the building. Nothing too serious, but we had to follow the protocol. So I remember having to evacuate my students and standing outside in the cold. It was, I think it was, it might have been November or something, so it was getting pretty cold. I remember wearing a jacket. Quite a memorable evening that was. And then, so the teachers uh, took their students to the pub as well to finish the lessons, right? Because nobody could get in, even though, like, the, uh, the, um, not the police. What are they called? The fire brigade. The, the firemen had successfully put out fire because it was nothing too serious. I think it was in the electric room. Uh, in the basement or something, some fu- a fuse blue-, blue or something like that. I don't really know. I don't understand this stuff. But it was a fire, so this is a protocol. Um, fire brigade has to arrive and uh, uh, there's a lot of paperwork involved and so on. So we were definitely not able to just finish our classes in the classrooms, right? So we had to take our students to, to pubs. And there are a lot of pubs in the Oxford Street because that's where the school is located. So obviously that was not an issue at all. And it was quite an interesting uh, change as well for us, the teachers, as well as the students. And I believe this is where this is where um, Kieran showed me his book. That's because a lot of students didn't feel like going to the pub. So it, we just ended up sort of, being there with a couple of students, me, Kieran, and a few students. And that's when uh, Kieran showed me his book. And he was very humble about it. Uh, it was not as if he just sort of pulled it out and said, Derek, here is my book. Now read it. It's cool. Now, not really. Because Kieran is quite a humble guy. Uh, so I, fi- I think the way it started was that we sort of got to talk about our creative project. I think I mentioned my board game to Kieran and then he sort of, uh, in response to that, he started talking about his book and the fact that he's also a script writer and uh, stuff like a film, film producer or something like that, a script, script writer, I think it's called. Yeah, something like that. So the point is, Kieran was very humble about it. And then he did show me the book and I was like, wow, this is cool do I actually have a colleague who has written his own book? It has never happened to me, you see. So I I was quite um, amazed by that. Uh, just impressed, really. Because just, just you know, having the person there who wrote the book, it's a big thing. Because I I know how... I I don't really know, but I can imagine how much work it must have been to write his own book. Like I said, it's not just Kieran's book because he co-wrote it with his friend Nick White. But um, the point is... Um this was an amazing moment. And Kieran also said, ah, take it, take the book. And that's because he's got more copies of that, obviously. If it had been the only copy, uh, he wouldn't have probably given it away like that to me. But it was really nice of him to do that because I felt, I really felt special at that moment. He's giving me his own book. It's not just any book, it's his book. It's a book he wrote, you see. So it felt like a special moment. But there is... There is another sort of layer to all this. I'm ashamed to say that I don't really read that much. Now, I have read stuff in the past. I had to read a lot at university and stuff. Even Shakespeare. I had to read Shakespeare. Now, it was actually very interesting. And every single time I finished a book, I finished it for a reason. It was a lot of fun or or exciting or uh, I couldn't put the book down. You know, it was one of those books that you couldn't put down. So, um it's a bit embarrassing for me to admit this, but actually it's like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't read books that much. And for example, my cousin Honza, who has been on this podcast many times before, especially he featured in the episode called Road to Civilization. It's like a series of episodes, in fact. And to be honest, uh, Honza and I couldn't be more different. Yeah, he, he reads books on a daily basis, 24-7, I would say. but me, not really. If I read a book, it's usually just my attempt to get into it. You see, I have tried. I've tried many times because I know it's a really good thing to do, to read a book. You can learn a lot from reading a book and it's just a different experience to, you know, from um, doing anything else, really, from listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, or even reading articles online. So I do want to get into it. But I simply don't always have patience for it. And I tend to get distracted easily by the podcast, radio, games, you know, PC games, and uh, the game that I'm developing, the Kingdoms of Deceit, TV shows, and other things. Too many distractions, you see. And if I get round to reading a book, I always do it in the evening, before I go to bed. When I'm in my pajamas, um, um, how, what's, the, what's the verb? Huddled? I think it's huddled. Huddled under my duvet. Let me just check the word huddled, because I don't want to mess up with this. Tu- okay, maybe tucked in. Isn't it tucked? Tucked in? Yeah, you could say huddled, sort of. Tucked in my duvet, I think, would be the right word. Yeah, It's, it's coming to me. It's coming late. Yeah? Tucked in. That's it. So I'm tucked in my duvet, and... Uh, that's, that's when you're sort of like on verge of falling asleep, you know? And that's exactly what happens to me once I start reading the book. I finish one page, maybe two pages, and that's, that's it, you know? Then I just, I'm just, I'm just off, to, off to sleep. And um, that's why, that's one of the reasons I can't really do this very well, like reading in general, reading. I'm a teacher, right? I shouldn't talk like that. I shouldn't even admit to something as horrible as this. But it's true. Okay, so I'm, I'm just trying to be honest with you. Um, in 99% of cases, I would just do something else. Anyway, uh, last time I read a bit was, uh, let's say, a few years ago when I delved into The Song of Ice and Fire, uh, the Game of Thrones uh, book series. I think I did that on Amazon Kindles, which is cool technology. I like how you can check the vocabulary when you're reading. But it's not the same as reading a physical copy of the book, right? By any means. Um, So I shouldn't probably say this, but yeah, I don't read. Guys, I don't. I really don't. I felt like I had to tell you this because I am probably not the best person to talk about Kieran and Nick's book. It's worse than that. You know, I haven't finished reading this book that I want to talk about. Yes, can you believe it? But since it's a collection of short stories... I have actually read some of them, so that's good enough, I guess, uh, to get the idea. But I have also read just Curan's stories, because I know Curan, you see. The book is good, right? I, the reason I didn't read the book is not because the book isn't good. No, the book is amazing. I did enjoy the stories each time I read, read them. Some of them more, some of them less, that's true. But on the whole, I did enjoy the stories. So it's just about me being lame, when it comes to reading books. That's the reason, you see. Anyway, if if the books weren't amazing, I definitely wouldn't talk about them here. I say books, but I meant stories, right? If the stories weren't good, I wouldn't talk about them here. So it's a collection of short stories written by two authors, as I said. Um, So uh, when you finish one story, uh, there is a completely new story there is some sort of a connection as well between these stories with you know these stories and that's the fact that they are they all take place in London and um they have some little nuggets like what what do you call these easter eggs and some sort of references i, I suppose like uh, as uh, not every writer would do but uh generally speaking um they are independent units okay so um okay um, I also have to say that I might be a bit biased because I know Kieran and so I read his short stories and not his friends and also I know Kieran is a funny guy. He has uh, a terrific sense of humor which is in my book. See what I did there? I said in my book but all I meant was in my opinion which is another way to say in my opinion in my book. Yeah? So I think um, his humor is very witty and intelligent, and yet possibly a bit weird for some people, but I like it. I like people who are a bit crazy, you see, because I I like to think that I'm also crazy, a bit crazy, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. You probably know me better than I know myself, right? Because you are my listeners. Okay, so let me tell you a bit more about the short stories. Now, I'm going to quote from an email that Kieran and Nick sent to a literary agency as they were looking for someone who could publish their book. So I think this is going to be quite interesting. So this is an email written by, I believe, Kieran and Nick. Dear Kane Literary Agency. That was the agency they were writing this email to. In a city that powers a country, in a country that powers a planet, life is hard, life is strange. Life there has a time limit. Life there is charged of the positive life that is charged of the negative. These are the voices of the battery life. In an age in which everyone is obsessed with nostalgia, why not read stories about the present and the time in which the complexity of a present-day capital city is dealt with via journalistic speculation? Why not approach its themes from the perspective of fiction? We are a writing team of two friends Coming from a background of acting, painting, and screenwriting, and we are looking for an agent to re- represent us with our debut—sorry, debu- with our debut novel. And having read on your profile that you enjoy books with high concepts, unique characters, and of which meld genres in interesting ways, we feel we might have a book for you. Our book, Battery Life, then tackles the last 20 years of London and its most significant events via a compendium of 50 short stories approximately 180,000 words 333 pages which slot together as one giant intersecting pop art piece which each story thematically or stylistically contrasting or complementing another complementing I think it should be not complementing yeah Some, for instance, are true, others are variations of the truth, others are made up, but isn't the disparity between those things the very question we should be addressing in today's world? Or as it now seems to be, the pre-coronavirus world? Um, We are hereby approaching you as a means to represent us with the production of the second book, which has already been outlined and consists of superior material. With such books as Craig Taylor's Londoners, Ben Judah's uh, This Is London and Lane Sinclair's London Overground, currently being popular on the commercial market and with Brexit having drawn much attention to the politics of the capital, with Mick Heron's London Rules, Uh, London is seemingly forever a hot subject for both domestic and international literature and hence we believe that, whilst unique, battery life also has a commercial hook. Should you require any further information regarding ourselves or our work, please feel free to ask. As requested, we have attached both our full synopsis and first three chapters and hope that you enjoy reading them as much as we enjoyed writing them regards kieran philip hughes and nick white so this is the email so i think this uh introduces the book really well yeah i definitely wouldn't do it any better myself so it's it's fantastic that kieran uh, provided this email uh, for the purposes of The Next English Podcast and for the purposes of this episode. It's, it's great. Thank you for that, Kieran. And also, I wish you all the best with the book. To you, of course, and your friend Nick. Uh, obviously, the second book. I hope you guys find uh, someone who publishes the book for you because I can imagine, I'm not an expert, but I can imagine that it can make a huge difference. It can reach way more people. I, I assume that it's really tough when you self-publish a book. It doesn't reach that many people. So, um, fingers crossed. And um, what else should I say? Well, basically, I'm going to soon read one of the short stories. It's uh, it's not even my favorite one, I have to say. It's, it's one that was recommended to me by Kieran. I'm not going to introduce it. I'll just tell you the name of it. It's called King Commute. And I think it's, it's one that Kieran likes a lot, okay? Um, my favorite one is actually called Stargazer. I've already told this to Kieran, he knows. And it's actually about a crane operator, so a crane driver. A crane, you know, it's uh, that, that machine that you find on a construction site and that uh, sort of picks up large uh, concrete blocks and uh, moves it from one place to another, okay? and um, so the driver is in his cabin somewhere high up in the sky, and it was about uh, how this driver felt. I think he sort of, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it, it had a melancholic tone to it, which is exactly how I was feeling when I was reading it back then in London. It it sort of struck a chord with me, and um, that's because life in London isn't easy, and It might be a bit bit weird because you're surrounded by a lot of people. Yet, I felt so alone at that time. I felt really lonely. Just like that crane operator did. High up in the sky, looking down on things, being sort of distant from everything else. Literally, literally away from everything, from the civilization, right? So, um, that's my favorite one. But I'm going to read a different one. The one that is called King Commute. I think it's shorter. But I won't tell you about it because I, I don't want to. I don't want you to be sort of biased. I don't want to spoil the experience because I want you to handle it yourself. And I just wonder what sort of experience you will have with it. And hopefully, after I publish this episode, I'll receive some interesting emails from you and comments. Uh, it would be fantastic if you did that, guys. And that's because I'm planning to have Kieran back on the podcast. I say back, and that's because he's already been in one of the episodes. It was in one of the um, episodes about the coronavirus, you know? You know that series I did back in March? Was it March, April, something like that? Yeah, so uh, Kieran was one of the guests there. But this one is going to be much bigger, and I would like to interview him about this book, about the short story that I will have read um, or I will have published and he will have listened to, obviously. And um, what else? Um, yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. I hope uh, Kuren is satisfied with how I uh, handled this, because it's not an easy subject, okay? It's not easy to do justice to it, as I said before. But I think Kuren and Nick's book deserves a lot of credit. It's a really fantastic piece of literature. And hopefully in the future, all of you will have actually a chance to read his Short stories. Okay, so that's it. Without further ado, enjoy me reading out a short story called The King Commute. <music> the King Commute by Kieran Hughes. To his knowledge, Spain, or anywhere for that matter, had never encountered a problem like this before, thought Danny Fonseca. Nothing like the problem he and many others had encountered 3 days earlier on the 25th of March for the 25th of March had been the day that London inadvertently created the king commute denny had left his somerstown hostel and entered kings cross underground station under the intention of riding the piccadilly line westbound across london to heathrow airport where he would catch the 1700 ryan air service back to his city of Madrid. It was around 1330 that he began to notice that it was becoming abnormally crowded amidst those tunnels, a number of failing oyster carts and a strange high demand for croissants at the sandwich bars where building queues of increasing lengths that were then merging with the paths of the passers-bys. It was after 20 minutes of queuing to get through the oyster barriers that he became aware of both his luggage bags and the guitar he wore on his back, becoming an irritation to those who stood next to him. Although he was aware of their frustrations, he was also a tall man, of which meant two things. Firstly, that he was unlikely anybody would bother trying to push past him and secondly, that he could see over the heads of the smaller commuters to work out what the origin of the problem was. The problem with this advantage was that even beyond the barriers and on the escalators, etc., the origin to this problem never seemed to reveal itself. Eventually, a blockade of police and security appeared along the barriers to stop the crowds, claiming that many people were apparently falling onto the tracks below due to overcrowding and that people would have to turn back to find alternative methods of travel. Danny had an ability to notice this before everyone else had and so began to use his size to make his way back with great difficulty to the streets above where he was met with an even more shocking revelation. That from the entrance to the station, to as far as he could see, to edges of this area's wide streets beyond, were a further ocean of faces, clogging up both pavement and road, all looking in various directions in equal befuddlement to those emerging back out from the station behind him. What had caused this madness, he thought to himself. There were a number of elements to consider here. First, a football match was coinciding with a concert to a highly popular rock band. People had been granted half a working day and both transport and shops all had offers on. All of these things, it would seem, had come together at the wrong time and place and had led tourists, workers, consumers and sports and music enthusiasts to descend upon the busy city at the same time. Now, a rumor was spreading from one commuter to another across the King Commute towards him and beyond that all the tubes had been temporarily shut down due to processions of falling passengers leaving the underground trains immobilized in their tunnels, meaning everyone would surely have to walk. He too then had no choice and so stepped into the streets that new path of the king commute to try and make his way forwards somehow to Heathrow. Surely the police, the town planners, somebody, he thought, would have this problem resolved in the next couple of hours and things would surely disperse. It was then that the buckles on his bags and clothes seemed to connect to those of the people next to him and he unwillingly became a symbiotic component of the King Commute. The 28th of March It was only after he had passed his hostel three times, after his flight had left over nearly seven times, and after he had used his physical dominance to pickpocket those nearby of their croissants, that his degree in psychology began to take on usage in his life. Indeed, the theory was true, that without clear directions from an appointed leader, people would instinctively form a natural pattern of order, and now the king commute, somewhere calling it the lord, seemed to be endlessly flowing in a clockwork motion around the city towards who knew. Those who had starved to death or who had fallen ill were now entangled up in its mass and were being dragged along for the ride, food or information had become the new currency. People's luggage was being used as makeshift toilets or sources of shelter. The vehicles that once had such important parts to play in this city's motions were now being trampled on beneath the millions of feet of one great gormless creature and the amount of people trying to contact their loved ones had resulted in an overloading of telephone networks rendering this great organism without communication to the rest of the world, and where was it heading to? He had assumed that most were trying to make their way to the suburbs, where the crowd would presumably disperse, but he was as guilty as no doubt everyone else was, in simply agreeing to follow the first immediate person before him. What had caused this was that the police officers who had initially been assigned to take control of the King Commute by operating the newly erected direction panels had, due to an alarming decrease in personal space, no choice but to also step into the King Commute and have their position replaced by the next person directly behind them, of whom, no doubt, with London being London, was of a different nationality entirely. Henceforth, the direction panels read a new language every five seconds, and gradually, a new language of mixed phonetics began to take hold as the city's leading one. Indeed, Danny now concluded The problem he had encountered three days prior had, well, and truly never been experienced before. Yet he began to wonder, was it actually a problem? For it was here that his sociological interests began to take note that the king commute, interestingly enough, was slowly eroding any form of notion of racial or religious prejudices. The Third Age Of knee movement. After what may have been something around a period of three weeks, society's very definition of time was now henceforth being based upon the obvious choice of the movement of the human leg, mixed Chinese whispers had begun to pass through the flow of people that an eventual destination for the King Commute had been chosen, and so it had been generally accepted as gospel truth that the mysterious direction of the King Commute was set to resolve itself. Denny wanted to believe such rumors, but basically didn't. After all, the functioning of the King Commute seemed to be quite effective and was in some ways better than what they had had before. The windows that had been removed from the shop faces had enabled the King Commute to flow through them with further fluidity supplying itself with all the material possessions that it might need to survive with when concerning warmth, shelter and food, etc. Even when Danny wanted to relieve himself from the boredom of the commute and would take to playing his guitar, he realized that he now had a far bigger crowd than he had ever had when playing in the backs of some of the bars in the Somers Town. The question of human reproduction, that old chestnut, was largely based upon where one would be positioned within the king commute. The man, fortunate to have been positioned in close proximity to a woman, would simply get it on when the time seemed necessary, and after a while, sex no longer seemed like an embarrassing subject for the English, and more so, social status was no longer focused on an individual's sexual prowess, as it once was in the old world, for that in itself was something that had largely stemmed from the capital demographics, things that no longer made sense in the king commute, for an advert would no longer know which component of it it would be communicating to and when. When proceedings came to childbirth, the components surrounding the pregnant women would be getting increasingly skilled in their midwifery abilities and would simply all help to deliver the child and then place it upon the shoulders of the nearest adult male, where upon its view of the ongoing commute ahead would grant its natural leadership skills. The child would then, as they had all settled on, presumably grow to adulthood to trample the previous generations beneath its feet, the remains of which would then be discreetly discarded with down manholes. This was the sewage system's original purpose, after all. The sex of this particular newborn would also then dictate in what formation the king commute would then reshape itself when it came to further, further reproductive activities. The seventh age of the knee. When the rumor of the king commute's overall purpose was eventually discarded and it began a natural quest for wider spaces, Danny and the sun he now carried upon his shoulders, his height and the view ahead had been the things that had led the others to elect him for potential continuation, Found their section flowing down the wider streets of Regent Street toward the direction of the opened out arenas of Piccadilly Circus, Leicester Square, Trafalgar Square, and God he hoped, St. James Park, etc. Some of Denny's son's first wondrous visions of the human world henceforth were of people throwing themselves from the rooftops of some of Regent Street's loftier buildings. For once, after all these years of refusal, the repressed upper classes had come to realize that, thanks to gravity, the benefits of the king commute and its resources were now something that weren't reaching the highest floors of the buildings and with great tumbles of liberation such suited men were throwing themselves in awe at the king commute their lives now better as if they had just survived the end of the second world war when eventually passing through piccadilly circus Denny looked up at the circus great electronic advertising panels where he saw that knowledge of the king commute had finally leaked out to the rest of the world and its first news reports, now in a mixed language of its own, were being transmitted for all to behold. It would seem, just as Danny had suspected, that instead of the announcement of some great final destination, the king commute was actually an ongoing phenomena and that due to even further overcrowding, Further cities of the world had developed the king commutes of their own and furthermore, many of the world's shipping and airline routes had also become so cluttered as to find new purposes out at sea. Amidst that great king commute of the world. It was during this sudden global acceptance of things that Denny began to think of the future for him and his new family and like most people who once came to London out of will and not the commute he began to look back retrospectively as to why he had wanted to come to London in the first place some kind of half-assed dream of becoming a musician he thought he remembered but now with a family it was time to think of the simpler life The king commute, he had learned, had actually made its way to the entrance of the channel tunnel, and so, if possible, if he angled his reproductive positionings in the right way, perhaps with some negotiations made with the upper generations, maybe not he, but perhaps his son or future seedlings could get through that tunnel and back into mainland Europe. Upon the other side, perhaps they could then slingshot themselves into the other orbit that was now being dubbed the great European tract that would then, with a bit of luck, take his gene pool back into Spain, back into Madrid, where the heritage of his old world had once begun. May the hopes within the king commute of the world continue to flow. Thanks a lot for listening. For more information, go to Zdenek's English Podcast Facebook group or visit zdenek'senglishpodcast.podbean.com Listening to podcasts can help you with your listening skills. If you wish to work on your speaking skills, join my brand new Discord group called Learn English Online. You will find the invite link on my website, teachesdenek.com, Zap section.